Hello, it's Harry Brook, Ag Fieldman from Flagstaff County here. And today we're talking to Joe Harrington, who is the Agricultural Water Specialist with Alberta Agriculture and Forestry. You're listening to the official podcast of Flagstaff County. So, Joe, what do you think producers should consider when they're looking at on-farm water resources? Well, Harry, uh, you know, I, I think producers really should take a critical look at their water uh, to really just uh, uh, maximize the benefits and understand that it's an important part of their, their operation, particularly, you know, economically. If you don't have good water, it's, it's hard to have the healthy animals, et cetera, and yeah. therefore hard to, hard to make money. So, so really taking a look at your, at your operation and determining, are you set up correctly? All um, right. We have uh, a tool called the Long-Term Water Management Plan. And really, uh, I think most producers have been doing that type of thing, planning, but, but maybe just in their head or some, sometimes, you know, too often they're doing ad hoc measures. But really, it's just a, an idea of just taking a critical look at their operation and really just, you know, looking at where they can get a reliable source of water and having it in the right location and having uh, good enough quality. And so those are all critical things. So, so really taking an inventory of mm -hmm. what they have for water sources currently, and then how much water they're using, and then looking at, at any concerns. So any shortcomings, and you know what what might they uh, do to improve uh, their their water security for for okay. their operation. Or even I imagine it's something you'd use as a tool when you're looking down the road. Say you wanted to expand your cattle herd, right, from 200 to 400 cows or 1,000 cows. You know, that's a consideration. And I guess sometimes that would also uh, require things like drilling new wells, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So so really just looking to see, do you have the, enough water to do that? So if you wanted to expand that herd uh, to double the size, do you actually have enough water? Are you able to access it? So it might be uh, drilling a new well or maybe several new wells. Um, it, it may be developing dugouts. It may be just using what you have more efficiently. You know, there, there's lots of things to consider. And so really taking a good look at it, but really understanding is that water available before you, before you start doing or that. committing so, yourself, yeah. That's right. So looking at the aquifer, so, you know, and, and I would say uh, uh, probably a large uh, majority of producers tend to use uh, groundwater, aka well water. Yeah. Uh, just, just because it is a very, generally a very reliable source. Uh, the quality doesn't change uh, you very rapidly. In fact, it usually doesn't change much at all. But wells don't last forever, so uh, some producers, you know, you sometimes you have to drill a new well to keep uh, the same herd that you you had going. But certainly, if you're expanding, you're almost always looking at, at adding new wells. So, so really understanding is that water there? There is the uh, groundwater information database that that lists uh, uh, most of the wells uh, in Alberta and has the information on the geology and generally what 
the amounts that those wells can produce. So, so really in your area, you can go look at that uh, in your area okay. and determine, um, you know, what, what, what depths are the wells drilled? Where do you go for that information? Uh, that's on uh, Alberta Environment and Parks uh, website. They have a website for that. Okay. And, uh, and you can then you could do a search by land location. That's usually the easiest. You can also search by name, although the name has to be uh, is listed under the original uh, owner of the well. Yeah. So oh, okay. Who drilled it? So if you're not the original owner. So not all wells are on there. Uh, it wasn't uh, really common to have the wells from before about 1973 on there. So, and there's lots of wells that are older than that that are still operating. So that they may not be on there. So you oh, can't yeah. count on every well being on. I kind of noticed that I, uh, I was looking at in the county and uh, there was some wells, like it said, 1922, but there's absolutely no information on it other than the well the year was drilled and I think the depth of the well and that was it, nothing else. Yeah, in fact, some of those older wells are actually on there better than the ones that were done in the 50s and 60s because uh, they always had a repository, you know, it was done in file cabinets and oh, yeah. they put all those in there. But uh, well drillers back in those days were, I guess, you know, tended to, to um, send that information in, but later on they, they kind of quit doing that until the, the legislation came in that well drillers okay. in order to, as part of their uh, license to operate, uh, were required to submit the, the well drilling reports. So I guess that'd be your first step. And if you had to put in a new well or you needed some new water and you decided to go with a well, what would be the steps you'd take to, to sort of make sure you have a, a well that's a good producer and will provide water for a long time? Okay, well, so as I said, that kind of kind of let them step back a little bit. First of all, okay, so look at, do you need that well? Is there something else that you could do that you maybe don't have to spend 15, 20, $25,000 on a well? Sometimes you might have other water that's available. So why spend that money? Look at the economics. Is, is this worthwhile? Um, a, a common, you know, suggested to, to different producers that they maybe if they have a good, really good well somewhere that will produce way more than they need at that location, maybe they can pipeline that water to the location they need, you know, uh, more economically than drilling a new well. Because the well, you need the power source, whether you're using grid power or solar power, it's, it's, it's not cheap. So sometimes piping that water and, and nowadays, uh, particularly with, with uh, pasture pipeline plows, uh, that can often be done more economically, but the you know the well has to be a good viable producer. producer. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you only have a three gallon a minute well, well, you likely need all that water at that location. So right, but but sometimes uh, in areas where it's really tough to find water, uh, good well water, um, but they have a good well somewhere. That's often the best bet is to is the pipeline. That well, having said that, you know uh, sometimes it doesn't work. Crossing roads and and oil and gas pipelines and wetlands and all that other stuff. You know, there's it's tricky and can be expensive to do that. So right. um, you really got to look at, uh, at at all sides of the coin here. Okay. Well, if you couldn't find a well, I guess your alternative would be to be something like a dugout, right? Mm -hmm. So how yeah, do you so set up a dugout that would be sustainable and decent quality water? 
Well, uh, okay, so planning a dugout is, it, it does definitely take some effort. So there's some things to think about. Uh, first of all, I guess we have a, a publication called Quality Farm Dugouts, which you can find on the, the Government of Alberta website. So, and if you want, if you're looking for it, you could just uh, do an internet search, uh, you know, Google or whatever your favorite uh, um, tool is. Mm -hmm. But uh, look for, you know, type in Alberta and then uh, Quality Farm Dugouts, and that should take you. They should take you to right to it, and it's a good. It's a pretty good publication uh, that can kind of go through some of this, but really you need to look at, first of all, uh, is you know putting a dugout uh, somewhere where it can be utilized properly and, and, and also constructing it so that it meets legislation. And so with dugouts, it can be um, a little trickier to do that, understanding uh, whether it meets legislation or not. Producers are starting to understand better that there's um, approvals and licensing around uh, dugouts. So often that's a requirement. Uh, also constructing dugouts in wetlands. Uh, there's, uh, there's some things that they have to do around that. Um, if they're going to disturb the wetland, um, they have to take mitigative measures. And uh, so they can, they can talk to to us, which eventually will uh, end up having them uh, apply to Alberta Environment Parks uh, for an approval to, to do that construction. So then you're basically that link in between to help them achieve their goals. Yeah. And get and their, so, whatever the water need is, right? Correct. Yeah. So that's uh, one of uh, my roles. And uh, there's uh, four agricultural water specialists in the province. And and we're uh, a go-between uh, to try. We're a resource to, to help uh, producers uh, do some of this uh, work. So do you recommend usually for dugouts that, let's say for livestock, for watering purposes, do you recommend that they be fenced out and, and use some kind of an off-site watering system or, or yeah. just directly on there because I mean every winter you hear about cases where someone was watering on a dugout and then uh, cattle fell through the ice <laughs> it's really uh, it's a real risk absolutely yeah I think you know industry standard has, has been changing uh, to where now uh, you know very very many um, uh, producers use off-source watering systems so they'll fence it and pump it out and there's good reason for that it's generally economics because i mentioned earlier about water quality uh, water quality is important and if you're allowing direct access in into the dugout uh, the water quality will go down much quicker the dugout will last a lot shorter it gets uh, get, uh, pushed in slumps yeah. in uh, with the cattle mucking around in there and then the water quality will go downhill generally quite rapidly just just from the bacteria entering and more is yeah. just from the nutrients being uh, input into there from manure and that and you'll end up with a lot of LJ problems typically and not only that they've done research that shows that if you're off-site watering from a dugout, there's actually a, an improvement in the pounds of gain you get per acre off the grass. Yes. So there's, yes. A, there's a lot of reasons for keeping it fenced off and, and controlling traffic on it. 
That's right. That's that's exactly right. And it's been proven time and time again that these soft source watering systems pay for themselves many times over over the life of the, uh, their, their uh, water source just just for from that from the performance gains in the animals. Do it right the first time, eh? That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> so with dugouts, every summer there's there's people talking about. Uh, do you get algae growth on there because there's phosphorus has got into the water, right? What are the suggested treatments? I know there's still some guys go out there and they'll use bluestone on it, regardless of the algae type. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that's the best treatment for this is avoidance in the first place. So that yeah. is keeping the animals out and that and uh, trying to avoid it in the first place, having the, the BMPs, beneficial management practice around there. So keeping the cattle out, keeping grass buffers around it so that it, it tends to filter any nutrients out that, uh, oh, okay. for, the water, for the runoff that's going in there, those sorts of things. Keeping vegetation out, you certainly don't want any trees around it if you can help it because the leaves blow into the dugout and decay and, yeah. cause, uh, and that adds to the phosphorus loading. And when you get a high phosphorus loading, um, it's very difficult. You're, you're kind of fighting an uphill battle as far as algae. So you can, you can treat it with different products. And, and typically um, products that have copper in them are the things that they use in algae. But you need to understand that algae typically isn't the, isn't the biggest issue. It's actually cyanobacteria. Cyanobacteria, right. people know that as blue-green algae. And so we... we kind of lump them together, but there is a major difference. Cyanobacteria is a bacteria. It looks and acts like an algae, but it, it's actually a bacteria that can be toxic to animals. And that's what we, we worry about. And it's typically uh, cyanobacteria, it's, it's very common in dugouts and algae is, is actually much less, uh, so the, the true algae is much less uh, common. Now, cyanobacteria is very, is very sensitive to copper. So uh, you can actually knock the cyanobacteria down with the copper. Unfortunately, when you do that, you kill those uh, cyanobacteria mm -hmm. cells and they release the toxins that's in the cell so often. And that's why you'll see uh, in, in the information sheets about uh, removing your cattle from that water source for three weeks after you treat it with a copper product. Okay. So it takes that long to break down in the water, eh? So it's no longer toxic. That, that's correct. And so that's why it's not like, it's not because the copper is toxic. In fact, the level of the amount of copper that you would put in would not be level would not be toxic to the uh, to the animals. In fact, uh, you know, a lot of uh, feed supplements have copper in it. So it's it's because of the, uh, the toxins uh, in, in the uh, cyanobacteria. That's why you're, you're doing that. Okay. What about duckweed because there's you know i've number of times i've been called saying i got a problem with algae in my in my dugout and if you go out there oftentimes it's just a mat of duckweed that's floating on the surface all they see is something green and they think it's algae yeah and, and that, that's a really good question because duckweed Okay, so the duckweed is using the nutrients in the water. So that phosphorus right. and, and any nitrogen in there, that's what it's using. And so it is a sign that you do have a high phosphorus loading. However, mm -hmm. 
duckweed uh, you could use that as a feed source if you if you wished it's it's not really a problem in fact there's you know things like uh, some of the municipalities will actually uh, kind of seed their their sewage lagoons with that to try to remove the nutrients yeah. and it's not toxic at all so so you know you don't have to worry about it too much other than when it dies off it's going to decompose which is going to use the oxygen up and, right. and, and so it's going to go anaerobic or without oxygen or go or septic as a uh, septic tank is just an anaerobic digester. And so that's when you start getting that smelly water and because there's no oxygen in it. And so you want to avoid that and you can avoid it by getting rid of those nutrients. So duckweed can actually be used to harvest it off. And that's what uh, these municipalities do. They'll, they'll grow a whole mat of it then they'll sweep it off and you can often sweep it off just with a rake or something. Oh yeah. But you want to get, you want to get that material away from the edge of the dugout and uh, so that it doesn't end up, those nutrients don't end up back in the water. So it's a way of harvesting the, uh, the excess nutrients in the water. Correct. So would there be any um, advantage to having duckweed on there as well for say, keeping the water a little cooler? Uh, so it, it does that. The problem with, with it, it, when you do have a large map, though, it does sometimes cause problems in that it blocks all the light uh, getting in, in to, down into the water column. And so anything else that's down there, uh, rooted, rooted um, the submerged vegetation, all that, will sometimes then die. And so then when those die, again, they decompose right. and start using up the oxygen. So you always, you're, it's always a little bit of a battle to try to uh, keep enough oxygen in the water. And so that's why we also recommend aeration for dugouts. That's always a good thing. And that's really your best, you asked about treatment, really the single best treatment you can do for a dugout is, is uh, after keeping the nutrients out in the first place is to add aeration to a dugout. Okay. Cause then I guess prevents the anaerobic decomposition. So way back when the glaciers were still melting, um, I remember we were also touting the use of hydrated lime on on uh, dugout surfaces to remove the phosphorus. Is there anybody still doing that? And maybe you could talk a little bit about it. Um, yeah, so hydrated lime, basically uh, you're, you're just coagulating out, out and having the, those nutrients settle out, coagulating the phosphorus out of there. And it is... It is workable. Uh, the problem with it is that it's it's pretty labor intensive. Uh, yep. There's a lot of a lot of stuff around it. The the dust is you need to wear a mask and all that. And and uh, I don't know that there's any. There might be a couple of in the province of uh, operators that are doing it, but they. They, they come into the business thinking, hey, here's a business model, we can make some money. And unfortunately, there's no real money to be made in it. And, and I okay. wish there was, I wish there were more operators, uh, vendors that were doing that. But unfortunately, uh, uh, they come and go and they go more than they come. Yeah, I, th I found that it was a, like I was involved in a trial up uh, in County Vermilion River. And yeah, it used an awful lot of hydrated lime. Yeah, what what pH do you have to get the water up to basically get the phosphorus to settle out? I, I don't recall that, but I 
you know, it's quite high. It gets up quite high. So then you can't use the water for a while after because the pH has to drop uh, on its own. So as it settles out and yeah. it, it takes a while. So we often lose the dugout for a month or so. So that, that's also a limitation of okay. That. That yeah, because I remember it was, I think it was pH of 11, possibly somewhere yeah, up around no. there. But it was yeah. kind of cool because after it was, you had to apply it because it's hydrated lime, it doesn't dissolve. It's just in the slurry. So you get this layer of clearing water on the top. It was pretty neat. And as long as you don't add any more phosphorus to the water, it, it seemed to uh, keep it clear for an extended time. But it was expensive. And as you said, time consuming and it's it is actually hydrated lime will burn you if you're not careful absolutely what else should we talk about with water well um really just really about uh the whole idea of uh you know the the, the quality in general so really just understanding yeah. what you have for quality is is imperative because there, there's no sense uh you know, drilling a well that that supplies water that has you know some constituent in it, uh, you know that that makes it uh, not good for your animals. Like high salt so, levels, for example. Yeah, high salts, high sulfates is the biggest one, and yeah. sulfates uh, you can find in well water, but we find the biggest in in surface water and dugouts. You know, and and I think even uh, you know in in Flagstaff County, I you know I think there's some areas that high that have high sulfate levels. So, you know, we know the old term alkali. Well, alkali is not really alkali. Alkali no. is really is 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 usually it's sodium and sulfate both. And sulfates is the big is the bigger problem than sodium. Yeah. Water. And so if you have alkali, you've likely got high sulfates, and cattle don't don't do well on. No, I, I, think the, you know, I, th I think the recommended is below a thousand ppm or milligrams per yeah. liter and cattle can get used to it up to about 2500 uh, milligrams per liter or parts per million whatever you want to call it but they have to get used to it you can't take an animal that's never uh, you know that's had good quality water and put them on 2500 uh, ppm uh, yeah you know water uh, sulfates they just won't do well but anything above that, you're really looking for trouble. And, and it'll have lots of, um, you know, breeding problems and all that sort for of death. Stuff. And in death, it's, yeah. Because we have had, I remember in the past, phone calls coming in, especially during droughty years, and where those salts get concentrated in the sloughs. And the, usually the cattle will refuse to drink. But if it's their only water source, they can even take enough on to kill. Because there's been cases... Oh, about five years ago, I think, or this neck of the woods, there was some cattle basically died because they had the only water source was a very, very high sulfate laden slough or something. That's right. And so, yeah, it often happens kind of in certain years. So like you say, when a drought has been there, the big problem we had, I think it was about 2013 or 14 we had a particularly bad year. It was a year where it had been drier the summer before, and and uh, and then there wasn't much spring runoff. But then we got a lot of run, a lot of rainfall in in I think May or something like that. Oh yeah, it was probably around seeding as we saw. As usual, yeah. Why not? Know that, yeah. You <laughs> and uh, because because the ground had. Uh, 
it wasn't frozen like spring runoff everything is frozen on the ground yeah it runs across the surface so it doesn't pick up a lot of those constituents but those uh, those minerals but uh, this particular year it had thawed and so then it washed all that uh, all those you know in quotation marks alkali all those sulfates uh, into the water sources and of course you know some of these dugouts are right you know on the edge of that alkali slough and so it washed it all in the dugout and put high concentration then if you don't get a lot of uh, rainfall after that uh, or you get a lot of heat and it evaporates mm -hmm. out and those, those sulfates concentrate in that dugout is it because the water evaporates but the sulfates don't it just concentrates yeah so. okay well the way i figure it is if you haven't got good water you haven't got an operation period or you haven't got a place worth living in that, that's exactly right. And yeah. so really, then I'll come back, we'll come back right to the start here where we talked about uh, planning it out, understanding what you have and don't have, and, uh, you know, understanding, you know, what problems might be there, and uh, trying to make a plan to improve your situation. Yeah. Okay, Joe, is there anything else you think we should talk about in, in regards to water? Or that's kind of the quick and the dirty, isn't it? That, that's right. I Harry, I could talk all day. <laughs> and, uh, everybody was uh, they'd be switching off by now <laughs> okay well thank you joe if they needed to get a hold of you you're available are you absolutely so we're we're happy to to talk to uh, producers they can get a hold of us through the agriculture information center so that's that ag info line 310 3276 yeah that's correct yeah so yeah. so uh we're uh, we're uh, they they send people to us all the time okay well Thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure and uh, have a great springtime whenever it decides to show its face.